Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome in to Loretta McNary Live, and today is Wednesday. Yay, halfway there. Uh, May 15th, 2013, and today's show, I'm so excited. Uh, We booked the show a little while ago, and we have, of course, just read so much great information about our guest, and that's Robert Richmond. He is the product manager for um, Zappos Insights, and he um, calls himself an intrapreneur, so we'll talk more about that term um, as we go into the interview. And we are waiting on him to call in, so let me go ahead and just read you and tell you something about uh, Robert Richmond. He is a cultural uh, a cultural architect and author of, of the upcoming Culture Blueprint. Robert launched and built Zappos Insights, the Zappos family company dedicated to helping businesses with their cultures. As an intrapreneur within Zappos.com, Robert built the business model from a proof-of-concept website to a thriving multi-million dollar business helping over 1,000 people every month. Business leaders, managers, and entrepreneurs now take the Zappos Insights training to discover how a workplace can help people grow, inspire amazing service, and ultimately drive revenue. Previous to joining Zappos, Robert developed digital marketing strategies for brands including Tony Robbins, Sony, Billboard, and best-selling business authors. Robert co-founded the Affinity Lab, a collaborative workspace for entrepreneurs that continues to graduate over 150 businesses in Washington, D.C. He is also a Georgetown-trained leadership coach, delivers keynote speeches on company culture, and advises leaders how to create self-sustaining cultures in their own organizations. And you will learn so much more about him. Everybody, welcome to Loretta McNary Live, Robert Richmond. Good morning, Robert. Hi, can you hear me? How are you? Doing doing really well. How about you? I am so wonderful today, and I am loving everything that I've read. I've even listened to some past interviews of yours. You are the man to talk to when it comes to um Companies like mine, small businesses, large businesses, are creating a culture. And so how I want us to start, I really want you to start with telling us about you, and then we'll talk about some of the things that are going on with you. 
Sure. Well, you, you certainly covered a lot with the uh, with the bio. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Right, right now, what I'm doing is uh, going around the world, actually speaking with different companies and conferences um, about one of my main topics now is is about culture hacking. What I found after working at Zappos for four years is and seeing uh, thousands of companies come through and say every kind of resistance to um, what about shifting their cultures, a lot of people felt like it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And so what I got really interested in was figuring out how to short-circuit that, how to make it so that you could make a huge impact with very little time and money. And it's interesting that the model I found for that was from a very mischievous source, which is computer hackers. Mm -hmm. Because what I found that with, with the way the computer hackers operate is that they look they see a whole big system, a network, but they look to see where is the point where if I do some kind of action, it will have a huge impact on the whole rest of the system. And so what uh, I, you know, my book, The Culture Blueprint, is really a step-by-step guide for when people are really committed to shifting and designing a culture. But what I found is that um, sometimes that can be overwhelming. And if you're if somebody's not fully committed, they won't really fully get that. But if they can get into this idea that wait a minute, I can hack culture, I can do things immediately, I can find points in the system where I can have an impact that would have a huge result, then then they get excited about it because they realize wait a minute, it, I don't have to be the CEO, I don't have to be in HR, I don't need a lot of money, um, and it, and and they can really see what a huge impact culture has on the company. You know what, I I think that is like the new buzzword for, um, because when I was in corporate America, they used to onboard us as employees at Hilton and FedEx, some of the greatest companies that I worked for, and I really love their orientation they call onboarding, where they really um, empowered us to make those decisions and to be able to reach out to um, other people within the corporation to help us do our, our job. And they said regardless of, you know, where we started, whether you were the person who was responsible for cleaning up or making marketing decisions, or the person who was responsible for building the next hotel. So can you tell us if you had, I really love this cultural insight um, blueprint, and I want us to talk about that too, but I want to kind of start basically with Zappos, how it got started, and um, how you guys took this company that was primarily selling shoes into a, a huge, um, what, Fortune 100 company now? I'm not sure about the fortune list. I mean, it's certainly, you know, doing over a billion dollars of revenue purchased by Amazon.com, um, ranked as number one in customer service by American Express's own customers, um, has reached uh, being a top ten place to work. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the fortune seems to be more of a, um, of a financial accolade, whereas mm-hmm. service and company culture and a great place to work are, are really the awards that Zappos has received. And um, what happened was... Uh, um, it really it, it's it's an amazing story. A lot of it's in the book Delivering Happiness, Tony Shea's book, the CEO. Um, they got into this was before my time there when getting into selling shoes. A lot of their people were coming from uh, Nordstrom, and Nordstrom everybody knew about service in in the offline world, but nobody had really applied outstanding service to the online world. The online world was really all about how do we keep people on the website, how do we make make sure they don't call in, um, how do we keep things as efficient as possible. And Zappos really broke the mold by saying, you know what, let's step up the game. Let's have the 800 number right on the home page. Let's have it so there's no call limits. Let's have it so that you get your call answered in under a minute. Um, and really stepped up that game. And what, what Tony found was that the best way to sustain um, 
great service through growing um, tremendously is to develop a culture that supports that. And then one example of that is it's, 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 a, it's a really simple concept that if you want to have, uh, if you value service, then hiring people who actually love to be of service is way easier than hiring people who are skilled at phones and other things and then trying to train them to enjoy the service. So the the, the company found that, that creating a great place where people love to work and being of service to employees, of service to vendors, of service to everybody creates an environment where people are always of service. So it's not acting when you pick up the phone and smile for a customer. It's actually very, very genuine, and customers can really feel that. It's almost like on an emotional, spiritual level, I feel, that that they can tell when it's very, very genuine that the company is there to help uh, the customer. And it's a culture that supports it and really focused on, on happiness and service. And so Tony had a brilliant idea to share that culture with the world, at first for free, really like seeing anybody who wants to come in, meeting, giving tours, and when they decided that they wanted to, wow, this is getting really big, how do we turn this into a business, that's when they called me in. That's when Tony said, okay, how do we really turn this into a business model? And I went into Zappos to take this uh, culture and essentially turn it into a product, and, and we worked together to create Zappos Insights, um, which shares the culture with the world through tours, through free culture books, through classes, training, education. And through that was where I really gained the experience that I put into the Culture Blueprint, learning from just thousands of companies that came through, learning about their culture challenge, and and finding that everybody from college students with a dream to big companies like Procter & Gamble had very similar um, kind kind of issues. And they all recognized that, wait a minute, there's something driving a business that goes beyond the market, that goes beyond products, that goes beyond strategy, it even goes beyond the leaders themselves. And that the most successful ones, something like a company like Disney, can go beyond all those things because their culture lives on it. That's the most strategic advantage a company can have. Okay, I, I think I need to slow down because I have a, a question on Facebook. Tell, can we define culture and how we're relating it to this conversation as it relates to Zappos and how you guys took this concept and made it uh, a product? So when we're saying the culture within a business, what are we saying? Absolutely. The culture at its core, at its very, very core, is the feeling that you have being in an environment with people there. Culture exists at concerts. It exists in relationships. It exists when there any time there's more than you in the room, there's a culture there. And you can feel it. You can feel if you're with a, company, uh, a, a, a couple or a relationship or a party that's really happy. You can feel it if it's not. And you don't even have to know everybody there. You don't have to know what they're thinking. You don't have to know their conversations. You can just feel it. And oftentimes, the first three minutes I spend at a company, um, I'll, I'll, I will have known enough information that just gets confirmed by spending a week there. Because you can tell by the interactions. You can tell by the feeling. You can tell by just looking around and get a sense of what they're all about. So at its core is it's a feeling. And mm-hmm. you can see it through the language. You can see it through the behaviors. You can see it through what people value and what they don't. These are all the ways that culture is structured, um, the beliefs that people have, the actions that they take. And there's a whole system for really understanding that. Um, and it, we, we can certainly go into that. But I like to say that it's really a feeling because when you notice that it's a feeling, then you can shift it immediately. I've noticed that the way a leader walks into a room can shift the culture because imagine imagine you've got the head of a company and they come in and you see that they're very stressed and worried. 
And you as an employee will see that, and you will draw all kinds of different conclusions as to what that means. And, yeah. you know, it, it, but that all that all the, they could have just simply had a terrible morning um, in traffic, and that that's all that has to do with it, but it's creating a feeling. So the access point is there where if you can focus on that, people think, oh, no, I've got to focus on the strategy. How are we going to get this to market? How are we going to shift that? And yet it really all starts from the environment there, the feeling that's going on, how people are really interacting and relating to each other. Um, and that's where culture exists. Okay, great. I love the explanation because it's the mood, it's the energy of a company, it's the um, temperament, I guess. And yes. so, you know, you hear about um, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat because a thermometer just, you know, gauges the temperature in the thermostat, you know, changes it. So I really like how this buzz, this new buzzword is really taken on, and it means exactly that. It simply means the energy, the mood, um, what are people feeling, how are they reacting, and how do we turn that around to get to this ideal culture that Zappos has? Is it something that's so unique that if you don't start it at the beginning, you can't come into a company that's five years old and change it? Absolutely not. In fact, there's a story of um, of Continental Airlines, a whole big turnaround that they did um, when they just really decided to start focusing on culture and the values and what habits they're going to have. And this is a company of 30,000 people. Um, you know, so it, it, if, if a company of 30,000 people can do a whole turnaround, then a lot of other companies can do it as well. Okay. So do companies recognize that they need this new cultural hacking or cultural branding or change, or does it take someone like a Robert Richman going in there just for business or whatever and noticing that, hey, you know what, this company could use with some cultural branding? It, 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 it can be many access points, and I certainly have never wanted it to limit it to just me. That's part of why I wrote the book, The Culture Blueprint, um, was to get that out there such that people can have these realizations on their own and say, um, oh, okay, I get it. Now I can see things differently. That's what I really love hearing about when people read the book is that when they say, like, that they go into an environment and they just see it completely differently. They see new distinctions. They see what's going on. So that's certainly one way to do it. Another is to go into cultures that are really strong, to see a culture like Zappos or another company that you just know is doing well, and, and to see what it can look like when it's operating fantastically. Um, so sometimes, you know, especially working at Zappos, we saw a company come in and just take a tour, and then they made a ton of changes after that. Other ones need um, consulting and more hand-holding in specific direction, um, be, it, so it, it really, really depends, and there's nothing wrong with with either way of of doing it because it, again, it's all about the experience that that you want to have. I've worked with CEOs who are just very, very bottom line focused, but they know culture is important. So they don't necessarily feel that they're the ones to create the change. And they want to work with somebody like me to do that. Others, and it doesn't have to be the CEO; it can be anybody who just really, really cares about culture. Um, Will, will take it on on their own and be excited to spend time even outside of work thinking about it, working on it, calling in other people to get their ideas, like seeing projects through that could help shift the culture. Um, so that's what really excites me about this work is that it's, it's something that um, – I, I call it seeing the matrix, if you know that movie, of, of like when you start to see really what's happening in reality. And mm -hmm. that's part of why I wrote the book too is to really open up people's eyes 
as to what's driving the company. And, and my belief is once you see that, it becomes really clear what you need to do. That that is a great assumption. But what if a company because they their their revenue their bottom line is good, it is really really good. But yet you hear the employees if you spend time with their employees that you know the morale is very very low. Um, again, someone walks in the room and the the attitude or energy is bad, so it creates an even lower morale. But the bottom line is really good. So how do you get someone to see that? Uh, if you have a cultural branding or blueprint that could improve, if you already have a good bottom line, what would be the value of somebody saying, let's it's, do this? It's interesting you ask that because my my clients, my sweet spot zone is is companies that are growing very quickly because what happens is the 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 worst thing that can happen is if it, if it just stays the same because it's going to actually slowly mm-hmm. decline. But where 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 people really start to get where culture is happening is where they've got a business, it suddenly starts taking off and revenue starts growing and skyrocketing. What they see happening is, wait a minute, things are going great. We've got all this money and revenue coming in, but why are people like kind of fighting with each other more? And wait, why are why why can't we get this done when it used to take so so little time and needs to be faster? And the leaders of the company start to realize, like, wait a minute, I can't watch everything. I can't man- micromanage everything anymore. I can see things uh, like the wheels flying off the machines as we're growing really quick. Because what happens is, is when a company is growing, it needs stronger systems and processes to maintain its growth. Otherwise, it starts flying off the handle. And so what the best thing that you can actually do is to grow profits really fast because It'll get you to that point. Now, it's extremely dangerous, i got to say, because I've seen it um, time and again where, you know, you can, you can see the differences. Like, like are, are you familiar with In-N-Out Burger? No, I don't think we have that here in the South, but I think we probably have something similar to it. Yeah, so it's a company that grew where they just really decided they're a brand darling. A lot of people love them, and they're specifically not growing that fast because they know that they they can kill um, a company. Whereas you see a company like uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts, if you see that, suddenly they exploded on the scene, had had hundreds of stores when before they only had a few, and mm-hmm. um, and they grew too fast, and it really went down after that. And so I think that the the the, the best thing that can happen is if a, if a company's growth starts happening, that revenue grows, and but not so fast that the wheels fly off the machine. Because if you see it growing and can see where things can really um, be improved by the culture, um, that's that's the ideal time to put the cultural systems in place such that it can grow. And the companies that I've seen do that, it's amazing because you'll see the leaders of it get so excited because what they see is they can keep the growth going and they actually have to do less work, and it blows their minds because they're like, wait a minute, I've worked so hard on this startup, and I decided to consciously slow down and focus on culture, and now everybody's running it, the culture's running it, people are self-motivated, people are thinking about problems themselves, I don't have to come in and manage it myself, and suddenly they have all this free time while the profits are growing. So do you use the time to, to help grow your people? And if so, how, how does a company grow their people? Because you talked about inspiring amazing service. So if you are a company who, you know, you're, you're maintaining, but you don't have the revenue or the resources to really grow your people, to really get them to, 
to go to that next level of being very inspiring with amazing service. So how do you, how do you grow your people? Yeah, the all, all that it takes is the commitment to it, because the, the the thing is is if there are so many ways to do it, it, it can literally be you, you just get everyone a book that they're going to read and then discuss it next month, and and I think everybody can can afford uh, a book, and to the point where Zappos makes books free for all employees, so it doesn't have to be just you know thousands of, of books, but it can start with that. It can even go cheaper than that. I mean, seriously, if, if you've got somebody, let's say somebody's really passionate about a topic, like for example, when I was at Zappos, I was really passionate about um, about email efficiency, and I was passionate about how to take an idea and turn it into reality. So I would teach classes at Zappos based on that because I love talking about it. And every company has a ton of talent that is just sitting there unused, where if you ask people, what are you really passionate about, what do you want to teach? And they can teach that, like at a lunch and learn. And the thing that's been interesting that we've found with it is that it doesn't even matter what the topic is. If people are committed to learning and growing, then they can take that skill and apply it to their jobs. So it might be just, you know, a cooking course or something like that. But if they really love the learning and experience that, they're going to want to learn more when it comes to their skills on the job as well. So it can really be done with literally zero dollars. Okay, uh, I'm so excited about this conversation. I have so many questions, and I have another question from Facebook. Um, they heard that in the beginning how Zappos used their customer service to double the marketing department. Can you share insight on that with us? Sure. So the idea was that it's one of my favorite concepts, which is that innovation comes from constraints. The the, the people complain about not having enough time, money, et cetera, but that's actually where you get your highest leverage. There's a guy I know who was working 14 hours a day, and unfortunately his wife became very sick, and he had to take care of the kids. And suddenly he had three hours a day to work. And he literally created a whole system where he could work on three hours a day and then started teaching people to do that. And something similar happened with Zappos, where in the early days, dot-com startup, what people did was they uh, the companies would raise a lot of money and spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads. But Zappos didn't have the money for it. So... It was actually a bet, a risky bet at the time to say, okay, we've got a measly marketing budget. We could spend some here and there, but, eh, you know, who knows? It won't even do a whole lot. So let's take whatever money we can and invest it in the customer service experience. So, for example, rather than using money on buying a big ad, that money would be spent on let's get more help for our customer service department. Let's get better technology. Let's get more people on the phones. And the bet was that if we create a great experience online, then um, then people will talk about it and, and spread the word because word of mouth is the most powerful form of marketing. And it was a total bet, and it paid off because people were just thrilled. They would blog about it, tweet about it, tell their friends, say, you wouldn't believe it. I ordered shoes on uh, you know 4 p.m. I got them the next morning. Um, I had a problem, and they took care of everything. So it took care of so much because... What studies have found, especially in the whole realm of net promoter scores, is that an unhappy customer is actually five times more impactful and dangerous than a happy customer. So it's actually in some ways an insurance policy because so many companies, um, if, if, if they have a bad experience, uh, if their customers have a bad experience, they are going to spread that news and say you, you don't deal with these people. And if mm-hmm. you counter against that and create amazing experiences that people love, one, you're reducing that, that detractor factor. 
of people who are going to talk badly about your company. And two, the, the, the whole value is deliver wow through service, meaning don't just deliver, but how can you go the extra mile? Sending a handwritten card, being there on the phone under a minute, figuring out anything to do when, when, when the customer, um, when something goes wrong. And it's, it, it's amazing how companies still don't get this. Like, for example, my, my mother just ordered a, uh, uh, a sign for outside the house that says uh, the address at home in Los Angeles, 217. And she got it mailed, and it said 219. And she called up the company and said, uh, you, you sent me this wrong one. Like, I ordered 217. I think it was actually something even different. It was like 416. And she said, this is clearly the wrong one. I don't know if this is somebody else's. Or if you guys screwed up, but this is not my address. And the response from the customer service end was they said, um, well, we've got to research what happened and get back to you and tell you what we can do. And she said, no, I, what's the research? You sent me the wrong one. I need the right one. And they said, no, we need to see what happened, where it went wrong in the production line to see if, if uh, they're going on on these explanations. And she's just so frustrated because she said, look, I, I, I didn't, you can figure that out on your time and do that, but in the meantime, I need my order place. Um, and, 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 you know, like she, she was so uh, upset with that. And that was much more, she, she was telling several, several people about that story. But if they just had said, you know what, um, I am so sorry about that. We're getting out that to you immediately. I don't know what happened. We'll look into that, but I'm immediately getting that out to you the next day. I'm so sorry about that. And she would either say good story or say, say nothing at all. And either one would be way better than all the people she told about how exactly. um, how ridiculous and awful this company was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, if more, and I also um, heard or read or listened to a show where you guys were saying that you don't rush your customer services, uh, customer service agents or reps off the phone. You actually give them um, permission to hang on those phone calls to hear what the customers are saying. And that yeah. is so unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. you still are able to make money and keep your 75% customer retention doing that? Um, Zappos says, yes, I, I'm just to be clear, I'm, I'm no longer the company. I left in, in, in July to write the book and, 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 mm-hmm. and speak internationally. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's amazing because what, what, what we found was that there's such a few small percentage of comp- uh, people that will abuse a policy. So it's actually kind of like a business write-off to say, you know what, these people are going to abuse this. These people are going to talk forever on the phone. But I, you know, everybody's on customer service on the call, and I actually wanted somebody to abuse it. I wanted somebody to put me on the line <laughs> for an hour and talk about absolutely nothing and see what I could do. But it was really hard because people, 99% of people, all they want is to get their, their product. You know, just do right. whatever it takes, and, and we would do that. And it's just a tiny percent of people that would abuse that call time and try to talk on and on or figure out what they want to buy. And like I said, I couldn't even get anybody to do that. It was like I was trying to see if I could help them more to stay on the line. So when a company <laughs> says, you know, keep that call under six minutes, there it's a really short-term focus. Um, when the, yes, some people will talk on and on, but it's such a small percentage, and the, the amount that you gain from doing that is so much higher. And it's one of those things that you just can't connect the line to the, to the, to the budget. You can't just say, oh, wow, we've created this policy and changed that. It, you can only see the results after a while when the company's doing well, when your score improvements like NPS are going high, when people are talking great about you. Um, you, you, you can't see that on the spreadsheet. 
Right. I mean, if you look closely, you can kind of say, well, my customer is happy to keep ordering. If you go line by line, I guess you could. But there's another question I have for you, Robert, because when I was promoting that you were going to be here, a lot of people are excited, of course. But I have some of my friends who are in PR and marketing. They're like, Loretta, you might want to check your Facebook um, social media uh, information that you sent out about Robert because you misspell entrepreneur. And I was like, <laughs> I really appreciate you checking, fact-checking for me, and you always want me to look my very best. However, that's his terminology. I pulled straight from his bio. And I want to tell you that I was like, yes, when I got it. <laughs> when I was able to respond that, hey, I didn't make a mistake. This is his terminology. Can you explain it? Because I'm sure that's part of this whole new buzzword of culture branding and culture blueprint that, you know, tell us what it is entrepreneur is and how that relates to you, what you're doing. Sure. An entrepreneur, yeah, it's really funny. I've gotten that before, too. It's, 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 it's a new word. It, it's all about being an entrepreneur within a larger company because people oftentimes think that they think, like, okay, I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to go be a corporate slave. And what I'm seeing more and more is people like me who've gone into a company and been very entrepreneurial and literally started a business line. Um, a new business model, the whole P&L, um, a whole company within a company. And it doesn't even have to be a company. I mean, it can just be the entrepreneurial thinking and starting a, a, a new project, a new idea. So what was amazing for me, it was a mind-blowing experience that I'm so grateful for, was getting to do all the things an entrepreneur would do, figuring out a business model, going to market, proving a concept, scaling it, growing it, scaling a team, um, uh, dealing with the profit and loss statement, all those things that I got to do within the safety of a larger company, with the power of a larger mm -hmm. brand. And that's, you know, part of why I say that, entrepreneur, is to get that question, to say, wait, you know, what what is that? Because I think that a lot of people just assume that that you need to just do what you're told, um, you know, that there's, but there's so much opportunity in companies to innovate, to create new businesses, to create new business models themselves. I mean, who would think that a, sh a shoe sale company would be doing corporate training and creating books on, on culture? Um, so it's about finding that thing that, that, that there's hidden talent, there's hidden resources within the company. How can we turn that into a business? And that's what an entrepreneur does. Okay, not so much like a consultant, I suppose. What will be the difference, a consultant versus an entrepreneur? Well, what is there a it, difference? It, 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 it's almost like being an internal consultant. I actually started as a consultant with Zappos and proved the business model and showed that we could really scale it and grow it. Um, so it can be done as a consultant. That's how I started with Zappos. That's a great way to get in with a company to say, you know, here I see this potential business model that you can do. Here's how it can grow. Here we can do a test project together. Um, that's how my whole relationship with Zappos started. And then to really turn it into a company, I knew I had to be there full time and really make that, that happen. Um, does that answer your question? It, it does. It does. I wanted to ask you, do you remember the light bulb moment when you decided that, hey, I'm here to do this, but then, or what, or were you strictly there to do the culture blueprint? Or was there, you were already at Zappos, you were doing something, because I, I know it says that you built the business model from a proof of concept website. So can you tell me what was going on that you all of a sudden said, hey, let me write a book about this, or this deserves more attention, or let me, you know. Because this is a hot buzz thing going on. This is called the blueprint. I really believe it's going to change the way people do business for years and years to come. 
Definitely. Definitely, yeah. I, I, I learned, you know, I, I was essentially kind of a spokesperson for Zappos for a while, but the book is really more about what I learned talking to all the companies visiting through and helping them solve their problems and helping them coach them and work them through it and seeing what worked and what didn't. Um, and it came really from a strong desire that I, I can't talk to everybody. I don't have enough time in the day. How can I scale this and grow this? How can I give something to somebody um, that they can that they can just take it and run with it. And and the book isn't yet for sale. It's it's in kind of a pre beta right now. It's going to be soon. But I, at cultureblueprint.com, I made available some of the culture hacks. Um, and it's a free download there. So my whole motivation for this is how can I get this out to a lot of people, um, such that they that they can take any part of this and make it happen. What I really like about about the book is that it's got so many entry points. You can start with recruiting, with training, with your values, with solving conflict. Um, there's there's just so many different access points to 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 impact culture. So do you see this as something like the book, uh, and I cannot think of the gentleman's name right now, but the book is uh, good to great, where all the corporations mm-hmm. were buying this book and they were making it available to their employees and that it really helped turn companies around or at least help to grow those employees. So do you visualize or is your mission something similar to that with Cultural Blueprint? I do. I do. And the the, the version right now is called version 1.0. So this is more like, I mean, I have such respect for Jim Collins and the work that he did and the team's work yes, on that too. book. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a mind-blowing book um, that I, I um, – it, 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 I, I would not compare it to it at this moment. It's more like the culture blueprint right now is kind of as if um, uh, Jim Collins, before publishing the book, had created a draft of it and said, here's what I'm thinking, here's my latest thinking. So it's not so flushed out as his is, but what I like about it and the people who have read it or get excited about it is that it, it's kind of like getting in on something early. That the This is the 1.0 version. The 2.0 is going to really have more stories. It's going to have more illustrations, more guidelines to it. But this is an early enough um, version to get in on this sooner and to be putting things to to, to work. So I, I, I think it's, it is along that lines of that it, it, it's taking culture on from a larger, larger standpoint. Um, and, and as I gather more stories of its success, I'm going to put it into a larger version. Oh, that is so sweet. I, I wasn't sure. Um, my producer didn't tell me if you had 30 minutes or if you had 60 minutes, and if you only had 30, we were at that mark. <laughs> no, that's fine. So I wasn't sure. You're good with the whole – oh, great, because my next question is, can this book be used as um, part of an onboarding process? Does it help to have this information or help with HR departments in hiring people with personality versus, you know, just a, a degree? Can it be used as an HR resource? Um, I, it, it definitely geared at this point more towards anybody who wants to design culture or make a culture change. So okay. it's, it's it's a very empowering book from that standpoint of anybody that you give it to, you've got to be ready that their reaction might be, hey, let's do this, let's try this out, hey, how can we change this, and, and, and calling the company out on anything that, it, that it's not doing. Where, where I When I evaluate cultures, what I first look for is to see when a company is saying, we value this, but then I see the behavior say, but actually when it comes down to it, this is what we do. And that's where the discrepancies come, and that's where the, 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 the pain really happens and the company starts to to um, uh, to just 
dissipate on on their on their energy because they're saying, okay, you know, focus on quality, focus on quality, but but wait a minute, get it out the door even if it's not ready. And so those, those value conflicts are where it happens. So I, I I I would caution anybody to give this book to their employees just from the sense of it's everything's going to become very very clear to them how their company is working, what drives culture, what's going on. So if you're if you're ready to really empower employees to contribute to the culture, to help shape it, shift it, help grow it, to help um, to call out leaders on their, their BS, if you will. Um, <laughs> and if you're, if you're okay with that, then great. If you're not, you might want to read it first and make sure that you take <laughs> care of whatever things you need to take care of first before you truly empower your employees. Okay, another Facebook question. Thank you guys so much because um, people are usually at work or something Facebook me. But they want to talk about branding. Do you have any advice on how to brand a company? Yeah, as it relates to a you know, contrarian yeah. viewpoint on branding. My my belief on branding is that branding is completely out of your control. It's um, a brand is what the the market thinks of you and your company, and to focus on it too much, I believe, is actually kind of like focusing on, you know, if you're if you're if you're in school and you're a kid, like how do I focus on people thinking I'm really cool, and as everybody knows, that's like the the worst way to do it. Where those who are are truly cool, oddly enough, are the ones who aren't focused on that. They're not really thinking mm. about how am I perceived, and that's the way to it. So I I I I have a lot of respect for people in 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 branding um, who are who are really get this concept behind it. But it's a really easy trap to fall in when you start thinking about, okay, what's our message? What's our look? How are we going out there? And you can see this parallel of it's like somebody, a kid going out the house thinking about how am I dressed? How do I look? What am I going to say to people? <laughs> what's going to be really cool? You know, and it, it's a really dangerous trap to fall in, whereas the real deep work that affects branding is coming into saying, imagine that kid saying, who am I? What's really important to me? Where do I have fun? And if I go out and do that, I'm going to attract the people who really think that's fun. And the people who don't think I'm fun, great. They don't have to be near me. I don't want them near me. And so the companies that really start to focus on that, what do you care about? What do you stand for? What's really important to you? Um, the, the, the branding really comes a result out of that. And actually giving up control, or, or really more like the sense of perceived control of what people think of you because you can't control that. Oh, my goodness, I'm looking at branding totally different now. So I'm getting that branding is really marketing who you really are because I think that is more true and authentic. So if you have some areas where you're a little weak, I suppose you will work on those and not necessarily market those great, those less than attractive aspects. I mean, I'm looking at branding totally different since you made that a statement about the cool kids and how cool kids are just cool. They don't set out to say, I'm going, you know, this will make me more cool. It's really who they are, basically. Yeah, and it's amazing how that can affect all aspects. Like Apple computers, like they they are obsessed with excellence. If you go in there, it's not, it's not uncommon to see people just debating over tiny little details because they're all about excellence. And and what what I what I my belief in them is that you know they've created better and better customer service as they've gone. But I don't think they're actually as a company driven by service. It's more they're driven by excellence. So then when they saw their customer service, they said, okay, how are we going to make this excellent service because we love being excellent? Whereas Zappos 
goes into thinking like, okay, we love service. And both of them, I think Apple and Zappos have great customer service, but they're coming at it from different angles, and they're not thinking, okay, how do people like us? Zappos comes from it from how we love being wacky, we love being weird. You could you can see that that when you call in, it uh, says you know you can have the joke of the day, and people are really happy to talk to you, et cetera. That's that brand of it because that's what the company cares about, uh, and Apple cares about excellence and detail orientation and those kind of things. So it's not it, it can even apply to areas that you wouldn't think would be really um that could even be weaknesses at first. But if you stick yeah. to the core, what's really important to you, um it takes care of everything else. Right, that is so so oh, I love that. That's profound. Okay, so can you on your list, who do you think or what companies, you mentioned Disney earlier, are those companies that truly, truly get the cultural blueprint at its best with the customer service being where we should all really put our, you know, our most uh, empowerment, our most resource, our most education because that is who people know the company from being. Like you just said, Zappos is, you know, wacky, crazy, fun. So who would you say on your list are some com- companies that get it already? Sure. I, I'd say some that, that, that get it already. It, it, most of them honestly tend to be under the radar because at the small to medium-sized business where you can have a lot of impact very quickly, they're small enough to do that, you don't quite see it. It's ones that like um, a, a credit union called Advancial. Um it's a it's a it's a fashion company called Jay Hilburn, um, and then other ones that I think are a little more public might be um, if there's a company called Mind Valley, MindValley.com in uh, Malaysia. If you check out their things, they are doing some really innovative um, work around culture. Um, Airbnb is doing some amazing stuff as well. Mm, yeah, like you said, companies who are under the radar but doing really well with the customer service aspect to grow their their people and their their um revenue. So you mentioned I mean you I read that you have developed digital marketing strategies for like Tony Robbins. So what would be a different strategy, digital marketing strategy for Tony Robbins that you would use for a person and then you did some things for companies too like Sony and Billboard. Did you attack those or strategize with those differently because he's a a person brand and these are company brands? Oh yeah, I mean every everything's different. I've I've to me every single project is is very different. But they're 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 together in the sense of just paying attention to what what what's really core to the company, what's most important, and that's going to be different every time. But the the you know, I, I, I honestly, it's hard for me to even remember what I did with 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 the Tony Robbins company because it's so much in the moment and so much um, getting into the brand and the feeling and what they're doing. And that whenever it breaks down is when there's that discrepancy of we say we believe this, but this is what's really going on within within the company. And I've seen whenever you can align that, that's when things start going great. Everybody talks about alignment. Alignment is really simple in in my view. It's about you're saying this is important to you. You're saying this is what you care about. Is that true with the actions and the behaviors? And can everybody see that and realize that just by talking to anyone? If you've got that, it's it's amazing. It's like you don't even have to manage the company. Um, if you don't, that's where everything starts um, becoming a lot of work because everything becomes small emergencies and fires that you have to put out. 
<laughs> That's a great point. Uh, somebody's on your Facebook page, and you talked about Taylor Swift. You you did or <laughs> something with that, <laughs> and they they're like, "That was really good." Can he talk about that? Oh, about what I posted about that. Yeah, about what you posted about Taylor Swift, and you know, I guess something you gained from her, her life. I mean, her her career. Yeah. Totally, it's it's funny. Yeah, I was at the gym and I saw I was just on the the the, the elliptical, and I I noticed that VH1 behind the music was on there, and I've I've realized that um, something that's interesting to me is that that the uh, a consistent trend among great leaders is that they tend to read a lot of biographies. They don't really even read business books um, uh, like mine, <laughs> um, but they. They do. They read a lot of bios because they see who really did success and how. What was their mindset like, and what did they do? So, like, be it's one behind the music because it, it shows a real personal look at how somebody was successful. And Taylor Swift has been a um, you know several hundred million dollar brand in of herself. So when it was going to go into her early story, I love that. And I started to see like I, I'm a pattern recognizer. That's what I did with Zappos with a lot of other companies. And I start to say, okay, what is what what's the meta report here? What's really going on? And the thing that amazed me about her story was that she had a um, a record deal with RCA, the biggest recording company in Nashville. And she was 14. And they said, we're going to wait till you're 18 to publish your songs. And she said, okay, I could wait for four years with the best record company in the world. Or she got an offer from a guy at a no-name record label. He was a former executive who was starting his own label, no track record, no history, no cachet in the market. But they said, we believe in your music and we want to do this now. So the lesson I learned from that is how many is, is going for it now, even if later seems better, because I realized how many times have I said, you know what, I'm going to do this later when I've got this going on or when I've got this opportunity. But it, 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 it amazes me that she walked away from not only better but the best, the best record label um, to work with a no-name in the name of, of doing it now. And... The I, I love kind of things what I call hacks, and I, I there was a little hack that she did to get her success that blew my mind, which was that that first song they released on that album was one called Tim McGraw, which was about a song that she really liked and the guy, and, and she said, you know, when you think about it, when you hear him come on, I hope you'll think of me, and the song was called mm-hmm. Tim McGraw, and she, you know, mm-hmm. keep in mind, she was a no-name back then, but all the Tim McGraw fans suddenly said, huh, who's this girl, what's this song? And they loved her music. So she was able to ride on Tim McGraw's success by kind of like piggybacking on it and, and, and naming it that, that song. So she didn't, she didn't really start from scratch in a way. Um, it may have been by accident, but I, I, that, that principle I realized is like how can we ride on other people's success, um, not by being a moocher or taking from them. I mean, it was a highly complimentary song, um, and it got her, her notice. And then the last one of it was that it, it, it amazed me how many of her top songs came from her worst breakups. And so how many times do people go through a breakup or an awful experience like this is terrible? She turned it into gold. Um, <laughs> and so I, I thought, like, wow, there's something to that, to take your worst experiences and to make them into art. And she turned it into several hundred million dollars. <laughs> so in your research and your reading, because I'm one of those people, too, I love business books, but I also love to read the stories of, you know, the Colonel Sanders and, you know, Di- Walt Disney and Michael Jordan and all these people who started, who you, if they had given up, 
they would have never, ever, first of all, gotten to where they were. It's not like they had a business plan. So do you believe in business plans in the year 2013 as opposed to um, being flexible, being excellent, learning all you can, being top of your game, and then go uh, from point A to point B and rocking and rolling with the punches? Or do you are you one of those people who believe that, you know, if you're going to be successful, you need to have a business plan? I'm way more to the side of not having a business plan. Um, I have, In my experience, it changes so fast and so quickly that a business plan can be, it can be a good tool if you're very clear on its purpose. If the purpose of your business plan is to actually plan out your strategy and think that that's going to really work, um, I don't think it's a good use of time because it's going to change so quickly once you actually get something to market, discover what's really going on the ground. But mm-hmm. you know, sometimes if you need a, an investor and it's going to say, I need to see a plan, um, one of the things that I did with Zappos when I went in there was I created a whole plan, and it changed day one. But they really needed to see that plan so they could see how I think, and they could see what I was paying attention to. And it was a very long plan, and, and it, it, um, it, it, it got me in there because they could see, wow, he's really passionate about it. He's really thinking a lot about it, and I enjoyed doing it. So if you enjoy all that planning, if you enjoy that strategy, if you really see some value in the intellectual exercise of thinking, what's the market? What does that look like? Then great. Then go for it. But if you've got that sense that, you know, you can just try something out. I mean, think about the way Zappos even started was the beta was a guy – taking pictures of shoes at a shoe store, putting them online, selling them, then going down, <laughs> buying the shoes, and sending them out. That wasn't a whole big market analysis. It was just like, well, let's see if this thing works. And that's what I've really come to admire, this kind of lean startup approach. Um, so I, I don't mean to badmouth business plans entirely. I think that they can, if, if you enjoy it, if you've got somebody who needs to see it, um, and to see your level of thinking, that can be great. But if you think that that's actually going to work, for years and actually be your plan and your guide, then I, I find that to be, especially in this day and age, very untrue. Uh, I totally agree with you, I, especially what I do. People are like, Loretta, did you have a business plan? No, I did not. I barely had a plan. I just had a vision. I thought it was a spiritual um, calling to do this um, TV show and then evolve to radio to help brand and get the name out, and I just went for it. And still today, I don't have a complete business plan, like with the financial. I have those pieces, but I wouldn't call it a business plan. So my next question for you, Robert, is you. I love how you say sweet spot. And, you know, a lot of people use that terminology as a meaning best-case scenario. So as an entrepreneur, what would be a best-case scenario sweet spot for you going into a company? What could a, uh, someone call you and say, and you were just like, oh, my goodness, this is the best thing to happen? Yeah, what I love is when um, a company is, is growing. When they are like, well, we've got something, we've, uh, um, we're like, everything is starting to, to, to grow, but we don't know how to handle this growth. Um, those are my favorite because they're willing to take the time, the energy, the money to spend on really figuring it out and doing it right. Um, and I think that it's, it's exciting in the startup stage as well, but, but the startup is really about to, um, um, figuring out going to market and, and just doing whatever you can to really make that, that happen. And there's processes that you can do in that to to see what values you really need to get to market. But my, my, my favorite is to work with, with companies that are, are starting to get success but realizing they don't know the whole picture because um, that's when it's most fun. Okay. We have an organization here, the Lipscomb Pitt uh, Insurance Company. They actually have this thing called a Breakfast Club, and they bring 
speakers in from all over the United States who have their own unique way of helping other people, you know, do what you do, you know, grow their people, um, provide amazing service, and increase our bottom line. So if you were talking to a group of business people from all sectors, from, you know, Fortune 500 companies to the mom and pop to entrepreneurs who are um, very successful, and then those who are corporate professionals still deciding what they want to do when they grow up, what would be your message clincher for all those different diverse kind of um, scenarios of where people are um, as a business-minded person? What would be a, a, a message that you would give that everybody could get something out of that? That's a great question. I'd say that that the most important factor going into any of this is energy. Because if you think about it, if you've got great energy – you you can apply that to anything. I mean, you could be washing dishes, listening to music and feeling great, you know, just doing something like washing dishes. Or you could have no energy. And when you have no energy, you, I could give you your favorite thing to do. And if you've got no energy, then you won't even care. All you want to do is just lie down. And I think that energy is highly underrated in any workplace. And, and anything that you can do to make that a priority and focus on that, how, do you, how are you focused on energy? What are you you doing to to do that. And, you know, there are all kinds of different ways from, um, you know, we would do a meeting with our team every morning focused on what are they excited about and what are you grateful for and building that energy to what was called like a, a three-minute dance party where you just throw on some music and get everybody jumping up and going. It's so much of the body. And I think that what's been forgotten in most business is how much the body is really still applies to everything that we're doing. When you're just sitting watching a screen for hours on end, it even doesn't matter if you're if you're feeling totally psyched about it. If your body isn't moving every now and then to get energy, it's not going to work for the long term. So, my message to anybody starting a company, a CEO, somebody who's just has is just sitting doing even just doing data entry, um, get up, move around. Talk about things that give you energy. Ask people about what gives them energy. Um, get that into your into your vocabulary, into your movements, um, because when you do that, everything else can be enjoyable. And if you lose that, it, it doesn't even matter if you have a great job. Wow. I, I love that. And I, I think the best companies that I've worked for, we did have those huddle-like things where we would get in the huddle and we would – and to some people it was simplistic and it was superficial, but for those of us who needed that kind of different um, feel from a days of work or what we're looking forward to, it made a lot of sense. We laughed and, like, sometimes it was, let everybody just, you know, get up and move around. And, well, I think some corporations don't see the value in it. They think it's, you know, a waste of time, but it, it helps release your creative juices and toxins and, you know, it just good energy. And I like how you said that because that is so critical, And to, especially since we're always sitting there and we're always alone on this world of digital social media Internet stuff so we don't have yeah. that human interaction like we used to have. So I think yeah. that was just that was, that's a great answer. <laughs> that is a great answer. So how can people find you if they want to, you know, fly you in to talk to, like, FedEx or St. Jude or um, somewhere in, you know, L.A. or New York or Milan? What? <laughs> how can we find you? Yeah, my my info is at richmond.la, R-I-C-H-M-A-N dot L-A. And um, I got uh, all information about what, what I do. It's 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 really not updated a lot. I've been doing a ton of 
of, of speeches and opportunities and consulting that are not reflected on there, but it gives you enough of an idea of what I do and, 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 and how to reach me. So uh, thank you for asking that. It's richman.la. richman.la. I want to make sure that we have that too because I think um, our producers reach you using social media because you're, you're on to that. And I was going to tell people about my – 911 um call out to you a year ago and <laughs> and to think whatever was going on with me at that time I made it through and and actually I didn't have this radio show and I now have it but that you were available to me not knowing me from you know from Adam or Eve and you said you know I'm sorry my message got into spam on Facebook and you went into this dialogue about um, how that can happen and how you would love to talk to me. And so that endeared me, and I was telling my producer, Bethany, and Bethany is so awesome, about it. She's like, Loretta, you need to get him on the radio show. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, not only are you an, an ultimate corporate professional entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you are a stand-up guy, Robert Richman. You really Thank are. You. So Thank I want you so to make much. sure that I... <laughs> I wanted to make sure I put that out there as well. And thank you for having this conversation with me. I didn't even, I have to um, tell my sponsors, you know what, I will put you on something on TV instead of radio because I didn't even take a break. I got so into this. People were Facebooking me and texting me. So I hope you enjoyed <laughs> it as much as we did. <laughs> my pleasure. You're you a great interviewer. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert Richmond. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to Loretta McNary Live. And we're here every Tuesday through Thursday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. As always, in closing, everybody, we want you to always stay positive, dream big dreams, help someone along the way, and we will see you very soon. Bye-bye.